and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. I'm Steve Edelman. All right, so this time, guys, we had some technical issues, uh, and we are going to do a recap of an episode that we recorded. We were able to salvage a couple couple pieces here and there, um, but it was an important topic, so we figured it was valuable for us to have a conversation about it anyway. So we're going to salvage what we can from a conversation that Danielle and Christy Ross Clausen had a few weeks ago with Jessica Paz, um, who is a Tony Award winning sound designer. And they had a really interesting conversation about the concept of no more 10 out of 12s, um, basically about working conditions and, you know, even a bit of labor rules. Um, unfortunately, we don't have most of that conversation. So Danielle and I are, are, are going to do kind of a mystery science theater 3000 version of that, where we have a few clips where the audio hum is at a relative minimum, and you can actually make out what Jessica was saying, and we'll intersperse those. But mostly, this is Danielle and I doing our level best to recap a conversation because there's some important stuff here, and we do want you to hear it. So notwithstanding the technical issue that we had, we're professionals, and we're going to do it for you anyway. Exactly. So let's start with what a no more 10 out of 12 is. I mean, that's not a phrase. It just rolls off the tongue. Unless you're in professional theater, uh, you may not have come across this before. The concept of a 10 out of 12 is a uh, equity, actors equity uh, union rule where the actors cannot work more than 10 hours out of a 12 hour day. And uh, so you, you work you're at work, quote unquote, 12 hours and you get time for breaks. And that's where the 10 comes in. Um, of course, in that scenario, those of us in production would be working on both ends of that as well. So uh, your crew is theoretically working 14 out of 16 or 12 out of 14 or something like that. And it's an eight day schedule because we're talking about a tech week. This is a, a rule that comes into effect for tech week. So while this is specifically came out of the theater world, if any of you have done live events, you recognize that schedule really well because that's in conferences, that's in rock and roll, that's in uh, dance competitions. You know, if, if you're living in that world, it's all over the place, right, Steve? Yeah, I mean, lawyers have it for pretrial motion practice and doctors have it, well, all the Always. time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> doctors and nurses deal with this. So this is not an uncommon phenomenon. What it is, however, is something that affects people at different income levels, different types of work very differently. And in the world of, of theater production and live event production, there are some particularly hazardous elements to the 10 hours of work in a 12-hour workday scenario. So, Danielle, let, let me pose a question or two to you since you live in this world. How many times do you have a tech week? You know, I'm thinking this is, you know, once a year, maybe twice a year, but I'm guessing it's more often than that. Yeah, so a lot of it's going to depend on who you are. Um, if you are a theater company you have a tech week every time you put up a new show. If you're a venue, you have a tech week every time a new show 
comes in and does tech. So for me, I could have anywhere from uh, four to six, quote unquote, tech weeks. But then I also have events that will run that same type of schedule um, where their start doors open at seven and they finish at 11. Think any convention you've ever gone to, uh, you know, events start in the morning and they end late in the evening. Uh, so it's a similar sort of scenario. If you're someone like a designer, you go from tech week to tech week because that's your job. Uh, you come in when tech week starts and you leave when the show opens and your next gig is another tech week. So for uh, designers specifically, they're never not in tech week, uh, which is a huge uh, safety concern, actually. So let's let's hold the safety concern for a moment, because what I'm thinking first is, how do you have a life? How do you sleep? You know, when right. do you eat? Right. So, so those are huge things. Uh, lots of times people will get injured when they're driving home because they fall asleep at the wheel because they're so tired and they have to be back in less than eight hours. So there's a, a short turnaround, especially if you're on crew. Uh, actors, again, have that protection of you have to have 12 hours of, of work and then 12 hours of not, basically. Uh, and, and speaking in generalities, there are situations that, are, of course, are, are less. There, things are all, all over the place. Um, you don't really have a life if you cannot figure out ways to manage this. And that involves either turning down work or having the schedule set up successfully, uh, you end up living at work, having your life at work. And in some from a physical health standpoint, it really affects what you can eat um, because you either have to really think ahead and do a whole bunch of meal prep to bring in healthy options or you're eating takeout. Now, if you're at a convention, there's fr frequently food provided. Uh, if you're working rock and roll, there's food provided. But if you're working things like theater, you're going to McDonald's on your 30 minute break uh, because that's the option. Uh, and it is fine, quote unquote fine, when you're in your 20s. Uh, and as you age, you quickly recognize that that is not a healthy lifestyle. Um, and it is not good for your physical or mental health. It's also hard on your social life. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, when we were talking with Jessica Paz, um, at one point she listed all of the things that she's missed due to tech. Um, yeah. Jacob, maybe we could play that clip now. I would also say that it's it's less than, you know, people not having a work-life balance. That that's I think just that that's a life, right? When you look at you know, just in my own experience, I can't I can't tell you how many birthdays, christenings, baptisms, weddings, funerals. I don't think I've ever missed a funeral, actually, but um, you know, just just so much of life and family that I've missed out on because I couldn't be there because I had tech or I had rehearsal or I was out of town or and never mind even out of town, just I'm in tech. So uh, Jessica mentioned that she didn't think she'd ever missed a funeral. I have actually missed a funeral uh, due to having to work a show. Um, 
So That's I crazy. Mean, it's, How do you make a choice like that? Right. It, it's it's an impossible choice. It's an impossible choice, you know, and, and at some point I've mostly gone to the funerals, but I have actually had to miss one because we had an event and I couldn't find anyone else to cover it. You know, so it's, it's one of those things is that work-life balance because of the way the schedules are structured is, is something that really does merit a second look. Now there are other industries that have already done this trucking, over over uh, over land trucking um, and pilots have all instituted a bunch of this. Some parts of the medical industry are starting to look at this. At least that's what the rumors is. But uh, you know, but they certainly have the data that the errors increase at the end of those shifts. So um, the data is there to support a change there. Uh, the film industry is actually making some of these changes already. Uh, and Christy, our, our guest co-host that day, uh, had a story about what the film in- industry is doing. Jacob, do you want to roll the clip? Pascal Wexler, who's a cinematographer, um, became angry. <laughs> and, you know, when people get angry, things get done. Uh, one of his coworkers died because you work in a film set and you're probably working 16 hour days. He was in a car accident on the way home and died. And the film industry kind of ironically is pushing for a 12 on 12 off schedule as being more humane for them, where what we're looking at on the theater side of things, in part because of the physical demands of being in tech, as a performer, as a crew member, it's just, it's just impossible. You, know, you think about the kinds of dancing that we ask our performers to do and then want them to do that for 10 hours a day, it causes injuries, it causes harm. And so we know that this is an issue. We know that this can be actually deadly. And I'm really happy to see the 10 out of, no more 10 out of 12s coming out of this. So, Danielle, the, the film industry, I gather, likes... 12-hour shifts. Um, Why is theater different? Why are live events different than film in this respect? Well, part of it is just the sheer intense physicality of a theater versus a movie shoot. Uh, Movie shoots are a lot of hurry up and wait. You said it, it rolls. While it's rolling, most people are stationary or they're stationary while it's resetting. So there's there's a little bit of a, a give and take. I don't do a lot with film. So I'm mostly going by what other people have told me. So I apologize for any errors. Oh, no. Um, film shoots are very much stand around, stand around, stand around while other people set things. And then there's... There's a brief moment of... To me, it's what football is, too. It's like, right. it's all the things, then there's a lot of waiting. Right. Brief moment of everyone <laughs> quiet on the set. You know, lights go up, performer does something... And then somebody says cut and then everybody, you know, exhales and there's a flurry of activity again. That's what I've been doing during COVID is film shoots. Right. So the difference with theater is it's it's full out intense. There's very little non on time, I guess, would be the best way to put it. Um, And sitting in the dark with with periods of intense activity for 10 to 12 hours is is very, very draining. Um, well, so one you, of the, go ahead. 
you brought up, I, I want to contextualize this. Let's, you know, kind of pull back and get the big picture. So you mentioned, you know, limits on truck driver hours through the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration and, you know, limits on our industry. Right. Um, limits on airline pilots hours, which also affects our industry. And I get that because if they make a mistake, there is a very heavy piece of equipment that's going in the wrong direction. How does that relate to live event production? Well, you know, we have a lot of heavy equipment that can go in the wrong direction as well and have maybe less news flashy sort of events, but people falling off of a platform that's six feet in the air or a piece of equipment falling out of the sky and crushing at worst case people at best case property. Those are huge safety concerns that are, I don't, I don't see the value of one person's life in a truck versus one person's life on the stages to be any different. Those are both extremely valuable people. Um, and those, those length of time, and intense fatigue causes the same problem. Before we started recording, Danielle, you were telling me that you were watching somebody else's webinar about no more 10 out of 12s. Yeah. And you were telling me some of the history and, you know, that reminded me of some of my early 20th century U.S. labor history. But what did you learn? Where, where did this idea of limiting work hours come from in the context of event production? So uh, the, the webinar that I was referencing was the USITT has been doing a series of events on No More 10 Out of 12. It is an ongoing and they're dealing with uh, many different concerns regarding that uh, caretakers and safety and uh, equality. Uh, because it's 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 a privilege to be able to just clear your schedule for two weeks um, to work 14 hours a day. Um, but what they were talking about is the history of this. It was originally in the 40s or 50s, this concept of 10 out of 12 was a first, it was the first um effort to say, you know what, we we need structure, we need some limits on this because to just have people work forever isn't isn't safe isn't reasonable and let's put this structure in place and they came up with the you work for a 12-hour block that has breaks in it and then you stop and that that was um an innovation at the time and i would say that it is now time for us to readdress the issue with current labor law and steve you were mentioning uh some of the changes in labor law yeah i mean before i went to law school i was working on a PhD in American history. I remember, you know, some of the early labor law lawsuits, you know, Lochner versus New York was a child labor case and wages and hours rules were something designed to address the problem of sweatshops in, you know, like New York City in the late 19th and early 20th century when, you know, children would work these 15 hour days, you know, doing handwork for, you know, tiny amounts of money. And those working conditions changed only very slowly. Um, and we learned a lot. We Americans learned a lot about the effect 
on our bodies, on our attention, on our minds. We learned a lot about that during war, um, you know, during World War II, when people didn't get much time off, there were studies about efficiency, you know, accuracy of a, of a fired weapon as someone is more and more fatigued. And it turns out this shouldn't be very surprising. As people get more and more tired, they are less attentive. They are less physically adept. Um, they have less ability to manipulate fine motor skills. And well, basically, the more tired we get, the more we suck. And, you know, it's for anybody like who's being drunk. It, yeah, it, it's, it's like it, being it's, drunk. It's a, being incapacitated uh, is, is the legal blood alcohol limit is the same as not sleeping for 24 hours, which yeah. if you're working a 16 hour day, I can pretty much guarantee you did not get anywhere near your six to eight hours of shut eye. Well, and, and none of this is news. So here we are having this conversation in 2021. And I guess my question, Danielle, is why? Why are we having this conversation still? Well, you know, that's a good question. Uh, Thank you. Part, part <laughs> <laughs> well, is there an answer, though? <laughs> I mean, is it just the nature of event production that... You know, we can't manage to plan our time better so that we have to cram everything into the last few nights, like, th you know, I like teenagers cramming for a test. There's some of that. Some of that is just like it's coming out of this, this culture of we can do it that fast, so we're going to. Um, I think there's also an, an old argument that is being disproven that it saves money. Um because you're in the space fewer hours and you have the people in the space fewer hours and therefore you're saving money. Now, from just from a pure theater background, when, in my experience of doing theater professionally since some embarrassing number of years ago, is that when the designers are working until 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning, when they come back in the next day, the very first thing they tell me is, I need to look at that again and make some changes or they see it and they're like, Oh, what in the world was I thinking? Because you know what? Their design choices were not the best once they were running out of all capacity. So you then yeah. add money back in to undo what you did the night before. So there's an argument that you're not really saving money by working all those hours in a row. Well one of the comments that Jessica Paz made during the, the recording that you guys did, she said towards the end of the conversation, you know, once you get to a certain number of hours, she's a, a sound designer. She said, even your ears get tired. You know, you can't hear things, tonal differences, which I guess is what a sound designer cares about. She could not discern them to her professional ability. And so that's when she knew that she had to quit. I think the resistance is, you know, giving adding adding days to the tech schedule to make up for the hours that are missing. But, you know, as as we start to really dig into the financials around that, it's not as extreme as you'd think. And knowing that working fewer hours actually leads to more productivity, I I would like to challenge whether or not 
we do need to add a day to the tech schedule at all, or if we'd be able to get done just as much as we have with a shorter schedule. Because I always feel like on those 10 out of 12 days, by 10 p.m., I'm fried. My productivity completely tanks. And then we're working until midnight. And then at midnight, we're sitting down and having a production meeting that lasts 30 minutes to an hour. So we're not walking out of the theater until one in the morning. The stagehands are walking out of the theater at midnight and they have to be back at 8 a.m. So they don't even get an eight hour turnaround time. Let's assume everyone's commute is an hour on average, right? Give or take. So they're getting home with six hours to sleep, shower, and turn around and come back. I don't, how, how sustainable is that on a day-to-day basis for, and then, and then top it off with the fact that we're working six days a week, right? So even though you're only allowed two or three, 10 out of 12s in a tech schedule, the rest are eight out of 10s. But that still doesn't change the hours that the stagehands are working. They're still in the building at eight in the morning. It's just the actors aren't on stage until two or one on that given on on eight out of 10 day. Whereas they're on stage at 11 a.m. or noon on the on the 10 out of 12. It's noon on the 10 out of 12. But every single day, the stagehands are in the theater at eight in the morning as a designer. I tend to leave everyone, you know, I, I don't, I don't come into the theater until around just before coffee because they, <laughs> they like to, they like to have their time in the morning to sort of get in the building, turn everything on, have their own time to deal with their own notes before, at least I might before I come in and then I have my notes that I want to do with the team. Uh, so I'd like to give them that time in the morning to get settled in, but even coming in at 10 in the morning and working until midnight every single day, no matter what time the actors are on stage, is still, that's a 14-hour day. We have a special opportunity for you, gentle podcast listeners. What is it? What is it? Ooh, Danielle, let me tell you, and I think you know because it lives currently in your garage. Yes, we are doing a fire sale of Event Safety Alliance face coverings. Yes, face coverings. In many states, you still need them. Well, really in every state. It requires it depends, you to pay yeah, attention to whether It may or not be a law, but you still need it. You still need it, especially for indoor spaces. And frankly, we have enough left that it's taking up space in Danielle Hernandez's garage. And well, her husband, Albert, is a nice man who would like to have some garage space back. So you can do your part to help Danielle's marriage and and happiness at home by buying an ESA face covering. And here's the sweetener. We are now giving one free with each purchase. So it's buy one, get one free of a fabulous Event Safety Alliance face covering. It is comfortable. It is adjustable, which is, I think, really important. Um, And most important, it shows your commitment to safety on job sites. It is handsome and attractive, will make you look smart and keep you safe. There is no downside, and you get one free if you buy now. So the order so you can get one for you and one for your best friend, loved one, grandmother, boss, coworker, really anyone that you could almost give anybody. Them. You could give one out to a smart-looking but otherwise bare-faced stranger on the street. 
you appear to need this. I see those people in the supermarket all the time these days. And frankly, it it pisses me off. I don't want to give them an ESA face covering because that's only for smart people. But if you have a smart person in your life who has run their face covering ragged, give them a new ESA face covering. Buy one, get one free. Order today. You know, there's also something to be said for if you are working, using all of your energy every single day, if you're running at 100%, at those last critical days or hours, whatever your configuration is, you have no surge capacity left to deal with the inevitable hiccups, crises, or problems that are presented to you right before the show starts because you're just tapped out. You have neither the passion nor the energy nor the mental acuity to deal with that. Whereas if you manage your life, you know, you're running at 80%. You're pretty optimum. But then you have that space at the end when somebody comes to you and says, I've got this problem. You can, you have the dexterity to Steve's favorite word, pivot and, and address it. Sorry. I just had to throw that in there. Uh, Podcast listeners. I just made a face like I was (laughs) eating a pickle. That was really sour. I hate the term pivot. It it has, it has gotten a lot of use over the last year, Uh, but you know, sort of recognizing that human ability is as much a constraint on planning your schedule and planning your crew schedule, planning your building schedule, planning your show schedule, planning your touring schedule as the physical building that you're going to. You know, you can't put 15 truckloads of stuff into a 10 truck building. Nor can you expect your humans to work on a 24-hour capacity 15 days in a row. It's it's not reasonable and it's not healthy and it's not safe. So what's the thing that's changing here? I mean, it sounds like, you know, working insane hours, you know, whether it's 10 hours or 12 hours or 15 hours or whatever it is, it sounds like that's pretty much the way it's always been. So why are we having this conversation now? What's changed? Well, I think partly it got accelerated due to the pandemic, but I think people were talking about it before. People recognizing the wear and tear on on the people that make the live event industry work. Just like we have focused more on safety in the last 10 to 15 years, this is an aspect of that that is getting more attention. And I do not think that this will be a fast revolution. Uh, I think this will be a slower process, but it's um, pervasive. You know, again, we're talking a lot about theater, but it starts in school high schools, when you're doing the high school musical, you will rehearse in the evenings and then you will have two very, two or four very long days, uh, Saturday or Sunday, where everyone is doing the show for those couple of days. And then you get to college. And if you're doing it as a major or you have it as a job, you recognize it. It's the same thing. Then when you get hired to do this as a career, it's a very familiar pattern. And again, it isn't 
most people don't recognize it as a problem until they are uh, a little bit farther on and they recognize that they are missing those major life events, that they are not able to um, maintain any work-life balance. And, you know, when I talk to college students, I say one of the biggest challenges in this industry is finding ways for you to maintain work-life balance where you're making enough income to be, you know, cause this, this isn't an industry where most people get insanely wealthy. We do. It's, it's a passion. Jacob um, edit that part out. <laughs> Don't tell our podcast listeners that this is not the path to, to piles of riches, fame, fortune, and t-shirts and tickets. And Jacob left it in. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, a lot of people recognize that and there's an equity issue and I think it affects women more than men. Um, and it, it also affects uh, people from less privileged groups, such as the BIPOC community, uh, where they recognize that they're not getting enough out of this to be worth what they put into it. My husband has an eight to five job, which means that when my children were small, he managed all the childcare every single evening and weekend by himself. If we were both in the industry, we would have this amazing problem where either one of us was turning down work or we would be spending a absolute fortune on childcare until midnight on a regular basis, which, um, see previous statement about not an extremely lucrative line of work. There's, there's a point where you're not making enough money to pay your bills in addition to the childcare. So it's just not reasonable to stay in the field. And I think as we, as a society look more at equity issues, that that is a reasonable thing for us to examine and figure out ways to make these schedules more manageable for all of our workers. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, to to steer away from the political third rail, even if one doesn't care about equity issues for whatever reason, there's simply a, you know, health of our industry issue. If people can't literally cannot economically afford the hours that are required, they're going to get out of the industry mm-hmm. and or, or we need gonna, these people or they're going to burn out. Um, you know, unfortunately, the mental health uh, status of the industry has been proven to be pretty poor and the suicide rate is higher than that, that I'm comfortable with. You know, people ending their own lives because they just can't figure out a way to make it. Um, it's just because it can be a, a draining way to live. So we like to focus on actions um we identify problems then but then we pivot to talking about solutions or at least proposed solutions or possible solutions what's on the docket here what do we what can we think about as a brighter future that has more equitable work hours more economically viable working conditions to help us navigate a more prosperous and successful future as an industry What's out there? So, so I asked Jessica that same question uh, during our poor, troubled uh, interview, uh, technically troubled interview. <laughs> uh, and 
If you go to the no more 10 out of 12 website, which we will reference in our show notes, um, they're collecting data and there are a bunch of resources there uh, with what else is being done in the industry and a bunch of tools and tricks for self-care, um, paying attention to how much water you're drinking, paying attention to your fatigue level, paying attention to your the fatigue level of the people around you. If, if everyone around you is starting to get really irritable or someone's bursting into tears and, and, you know, those are all signs of fatigue, um, not just emotional strain. Um, if you are a controlling employer, you know, if you're a venue that can, can dictate those things, start to look at how you're scheduling your people. Are there ways to schedule them so that they're not all working all of those hours all at once? Can you do it in shifts? Uh, the unions are also looking at these things. If you are in an industry or aspect of the industry that is controlled by a, a labor union, um, equity is, is specifically having a lot of conversations about this. At the end of the day, it's what we've always said, life safety first. And this is, you know, an aspect of life safety. You get one life. So you know, make sure that your work is in balance with, with the rest of your life. And, and I guess from my perspective, while I would like to think that there's some big institutional movement towards, you know, a fairer, more equitable, more, you know, frankly, more viable, consistent with a better lifestyle, um, that's going to be kind of glacial progress. And so in the interim, while we're trying to change a culture, which is obviously what ESA was born to do in the first place, to create a culture of safety. But in the meantime, take care of yourself. You know, it's not it's not a, you know, men, it's not a sign of machismo to work to the point where you're working unsafely. You know, it's not a badge of honor to stay at work when you're not productive. No, that's just not productive. And you're going to wind up redoing it in the next day anyway, or someone else is going to have to pick up the pieces that you left behind. I think it is an act of courage to say, I'm not constructive right now. I need to take a break. I need to walk away. And you know, this applies in every situation all the time. Um, and I know that some industries prize working insane hours, you know, ridiculous shifts. You know, I'm a lawyer. Lawyers are like that. You know, pre-trial stuff is just berserk. But I know that I get to a point, even when I'm just sitting at my desk, you know, there's nothing physically taxing about what I do most of the time. I'm sitting at a desk writing a document. There comes a time when that text just starts swimming on the screen and I can't see it and I have to walk away. And that's just me for, you know, you good podcast listeners who are moving heavy objects and having to calibrate things that, you know, will have an artistic effect and also potentially pose a really serious hazard to yourself and the people around you. I think it takes an actual act of courage as well as self-knowledge to say, yeah, I'm tapping out for a while because I'm no good anymore. And I would also say it's important um, 
for us to all recognize the people that are are not able to do that um, for whatever reason. I'll, and I'm going to say mostly I would put over higher stage hands that aren't protected by a union in that category, because if they say I need a break or I can't take that call, they don't get paid and they may not called again. So uh, I think as an industry, it's important that we're cognizant that not everyone has the same power in, in life safety decisions. Um, and, and I, however, I, wanna... I would say, I would encourage all those people that if they feel unsafe, that they still have the duty to tell someone that it's not safe. Yeah. And the point that I want to underscore here is if you're listening to this podcast, my guess is you care about workplace safety at least a little. You know, maybe you loved the dulcet tones of Danielle and I and and come just for the comic relief. But <laughs> probably you also care just a tiny bit, just a scintilla mm-hmm. about safety, which means probably you're in a position to not only speak up on your own behalf, but for someone else who has less leverage than you. And so this, you know, maybe for me, this is the takeaway. You know, I'm frankly, I'm struggling with this. I don't like, you know, forcing the people who are victimized. It is hard. I I don't like forcing the people who are victimized by some systemic problem to say, oh, fix your own problem. And that's what I was saying before, you know, it takes courage. Easy for me to say, I work behind a desk. (laughs) So I've if, seen you with the fez on, not behind a desk. So. You're right. I, I am in the field a fair amount when there is a field. <laughs> when there are fields. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to that. But I recognize that I am one of the people who has the ability, the authority to say, hey, that person looks like they need a break or that person looks done for the day. I have that authority. And so if you are listening to this conversation and you have that kind of authority, use it. You are the change. I think someone smart said that once. You are the ones who will help create this culture of safety that we're talking about. You know, the cogs of institutional change churn really slowly. Yeah. But if if you have some authority, you know, here I'm I'm calling on you. Yes, you, you who are listening to this podcast. No, not you, you. <laughs> and and what I mean is you can look out for people who don't have the ability to speak up for themselves. And wow, what a great and wonderful thing that is. That's beautiful. All right. So if you guys have anything you want to share with us, please go ahead and send us an email at podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. Check out the website, eventsafetyalliance.org, or find us on social media. We'd be happy to connect with you that way. Um, Again, please go ahead uh, and check out No More 10 Out of 12. That It's a very interesting website, and there's a, a a lot of work to be done, I think, on that front. So thank you very much to Jessica and Christy for um, for spending all that time on a recording that we've only been able to salvage a few clips from. We really appreciated their time and effort in uh, participating in this conversation. All right, everybody, stay safe out there. <laughs>